0: A written transcript of this episode is provided by Starburst. For more information, you can see the show notes. Welcome to Data Mesh Radio with your host, Scott Herleman, sponsored by Starburst. Starburst is a single platform to help you activate all your data, no matter where it lives. Check out our new Data Products for Demi's ebook to learn more about how your organization can utilize data products. To download your free copy, head on over to starburst.io. Data Mesh Radio is provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It is produced and hosted by me, Scott Hurlman. I started this podcast as a place for practitioners to get useful information about Data Mesh, and we're at over 200 episodes. I've now left Data Stacks, you know, thanks for all their help in founding things, but I've left to start Data Mesh Understanding, which is also helping practitioners to get to the information needed to do Data Mesh well. We have free implementer introduction and roundtable programs, in addition to the more advanced yet affordable offerings. So please do get in touch if you're looking for more information on how to do, how to approach Data Mesh. Just check datameshunderstanding.com for more info. There's also a helpful organization of past Data Mesh radio episodes there if you want to dig into specific topics rather than digging through 200 different episodes. So with that, let's hit the funky intro music and listen to what you'll hear about in this interview episode. Episode 282, not sweating the small stuff in Data Mesh. Bottom line up front, what are you going to hear about and learn about in this episode? I interviewed Mandeep Carr, enterprise information architect at Nordea Asset Management. To be clear though, she was only representing her own views on the episode. Nordea has been on their data mesh journey for a while, and Mandeep has been trying to figure out best practices for the hundreds, maybe thousands, of micro decisions in a data mesh journey how do we get comfortable with making so many of these calls? So here are some key takeaways or thoughts specifically from Mandeep's point of view. Number one, she said, quote, don't overthink it, bring value as soon as possible, evolution before completion. Those are her three main points. One, don't overthink it. Two, bring value out as soon as possible. And again, and three, evolution before completion. Number two, The micro decisions in data mesh do matter, give them some thought, but it's important to simply get some perspective from the people who should know best around a specific topic and then move forward. That can be from people inside or outside your organization, but think about the blast radius of getting something kind of wrong or quote unquote wrong before you fix it, before you figure out where it should head. Most times that blast radius is much smaller than you'd expect. Number three. Your first question when considering data mesh, what value am I trying to get out of out of doing data mesh, right? Think about what are the target value propositions and what does it what does data mesh do for the business if this is a successful implementation? If you don't have good answers there, should you do data mesh? Maybe not. Number four, The answers to the what value question of your own mesh journey above should drive your strategy, where you should focus early and what will measure your success. And every organization will have different answers. You know, that's frustrating for some folks, but it is the case. Number five, potentially controversial. There's a lot of of overthinking in most data mesh implementations, a lot. Come back to your anchoring points around ownership or accountability, product thinking, value proposition, etc. What's important? What's important to actually driving towards your success with Data Mesh? You can try something and see if it works, and change if it doesn't. Don't get caught up in analysis paralysis. Number six, relatedly, always focus on the value proposition. If you are delivering value, you can improve the other aspects as you move along and learn to do aspects of your journey better, right? If you're delivering value, that's that's a positive. You're, you're heading in the right direction in general. Number seven, there's a major challenge in abstract communication just in general, but especially about something like data mesh. Those doing that abstracting, you know, Scott notes such as myself, <laughs> but those doing the abstracting have so much more time and specific research that there will always be logic leaps and things that only map to their that person's own mental model. Number 8, get specific in your data mesh examples and anecdotes while providing abstractions and be prepared to dive deeper in one-on-one conversations when it makes sense. Number 9, the internal communication of something like data mesh shouldn't only fall on the data team. Find and create your ambassadors or your champions. They can communicate concepts and aspects well in the language of the business, and they have, again, those mental models that are closer to their peers. Number 10, potentially controversial. As the data team, our, our role is best served guiding people to the right ways to answer their own questions rather than answering things for them. That's part of data mesh, but it's a good practice outside it too, because if you're doing the work for them, it, it becomes less and less scalable. Number eleven. With Data Mesh, you will probably feel it's about kind of getting it right. It's as much about learning how to get it right as it is about actually getting it right. That's product thinking for you, learning how to get there, learning how to do this better and better. Number 12, when making your decisions, it's all about trade-offs. Think about what you aren't willing to trade off. That will guide you more and more to your crucial decisions. Nothing is perfect perfect, and nothing is 100% sure. But again, what are you willing to trade off? That's what where you'll guide you to what are your most important decisions. Number 13, when making your data mesh journey plan, you must take into account your competency gaps, either to fill them before your journey or how you will compensate for them and fill those gaps as you go along. Scott note here. Ignore your competency gaps at your own, maybe significant, risk. Number fourteen, set milestones for your data mesh journey so you can measure your success to some degree. It also makes you feel better about the progress you've made. Celebrate the success, even if there is far to go. Number fifteen, we need to make business users understand data and technology are there to enable them to be better. Too many still see them as a threat. I mean, many still see technology in general as a threat. Number 16, potentially controversial. Something like data mesh might be seen as threatening to some data consumers by reducing their control and their specific value creation. Previously, many consumers were in charge themselves of getting access to the data and doing the analysis. But that is often pushed to the producer in data mesh. Scott note here. This was a really interesting point that hasn't really come up in conversations before. Of, Are we taking control away from the consumers if they're so used to actually having control of this whole process and especially generating that value? Number 17, a product is only a product if it's providing value. Ingrain this into people doing data work. Number 18, really drive to a common understanding of terms like a data product or data as a product. It's very easy for many people across the organization to interpret or understand these things differently, making communication extra challenging. Number 19, product thinking isn't only focusing on the end product, but the supply chain and component parts. That's even more important when that is relating to data. The inputs all matter, and the reliability and sustainability of the inputs matter. Number 20, transformation journeys are often quite disjointed at the start. You have to align people to start the transformation, and people aren't moving together. There's a disjointed phase before you can even get to the planning phase. That's normal and to be expected. And finally, number 21, if you focus on the target instead of the journey to get to the target, you're as likely to make things worse as you would to make them better. You can't simply jump to the end target state. You have to learn how to get there and improve along the way. This is especially true with data mesh. Okay, enough of just me. Let's hear from our awesome guest in this interview episode. Okay. Very, very excited for today's episode. I've got Mandeep Kaur here, who's the enterprise information architect at Nordea Asset Management. To be clear, though, she's only representing her own views. Uh, And we're going to be talking about a lot of things. So um, she's been one of the leaders of their implementation. And so talking about how many decisions, these micro decisions that it comes along when you're doing a data mesh implementation, and that So much of the information that we have out there about implementations, even even in this podcast, can be pretty abstract. So how do we move towards less abstract? How do we move towards actually being a lot more concrete in the discussions that we have? And how do we also think about answering what are we trying to accomplish instead of only answering the question? Because sometimes we don't necessarily have the exact question to answer. Um, As well, where should you start your journey? What are kind of the crucial questions to answer up front? And then, you know, how do we think about flipping the attitude of data is only there to support the business instead of drive the business? How do we get it towards uh, driving the business overall, embedding product thinking into an organization? If your organization isn't in that product thinking, you know, mode, how do you plant that seed to kind of, (laughs) you know, let it grow and exactly as a seed, but Let it uh, grow and germinate and and become something bigger. And then just in general, some advice about looking back on how far you've come in your journey, because a lot of people keep saying, oh, there's so much left to do. There's so much left to do, but you need to take some stock of your successes and take some pride in that, because otherwise it'll just feel like there's always so much more to do. But before we get into that, uh, Mandeep, if you don't mind giving people a little bit of an introduction to yourself, and then we can jump into the conversation at hand.
1: Yes, of course. Well, thank you for inviting me for this interview podcast. I will start by repeating what you already told everybody. My name is Mandeep Kaur, <laughs> and um, mm-hmm. I have sta- I started my work as a software developer about 15 years ago. Uh, in the last 15 years, I have uh changed my I have had different kinds of roles I have moved from being a software developer to a software engineer and then business analyst project manager and architect but mostly in the finance uh, sector um, I have been working with the uh, different kind of tasks I have been especially around data doing system to system integrations uh, doing data modeling warehousing etc etc um, from the last couple of years, I have been really using significant amount of time discussing, researching, debating uh, data strategies inspired by data mesh, um, especially in my current role as enterprise information architect, in uh, one of the biggest um, Nordic asset managers, Nordia asset management, as you already informed everybody. And I really look forward to have this talk today and share my experiences and hope to actually get some kind of feedback later on from the listeners.
0: <laughs> and well, and that's, that's part of where we were planning on starting this discussion is a lot of times when people are having these data mesh conversations, they're very, very surface level. Even Even on this podcast, even today, we're probably not going to get into super, super specifics because it's so hard to drill into the specifics because there are, you know, I, I kind of say somebody was, was at one point looking at making the FAQ for data mesh. And I was like, okay, well, there are about 300 frequently asked questions. And there are about another 300 that are relatively frequently asked. So how many of these are you going to do? And they got through about three and then said, okay, this is too big of a, of a task. I can't do this. And it's like, kind of like exactly, right? So much of this stuff is exchanging information with each other on a one-on-one basis or writing up specifically, hey, I'm going to take you through this this small set of decisions that were crucial, but you know, or how do you actually decide um, your data modeling approach for data mesh or something like that and that you go and you go very, very specific, but people feel like the content that's super specific has a small audience, even though it doesn't. So how how have you how have you seen this kind of play out? Like how has that frustration played out for you? And how are you kind of helping people when you have these discussions to have more fruitful discussions? Like what what are your tips there as well as, you know, feel free to share as many frustrations as you'd like?
1: <laughs> so um I would start by saying that uh Definitely, do not underestimate the power of abstract communication. That is also necessary. We that's the start. That's the starting point. But there's something we should all realize here is the curse of knowledge. The people who are doing this abstract uh, communication might have used um, hundreds of hours researching, discussing, getting on top of what they basically have made a mental model of already and when they are doing this abstract communication they believe they are actually projecting that understanding with just those abstract words over to the big audience they are communicating to um and 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 that's definitely not true because the audience hasn't gone through that research the audience hasn't developed that mental model just yet that is their starting point so it's not that i do not uh, it's not that I'm saying that abstract communication is not important. It is definitely very as relevant as going into deep dives and detailed uh, discussions. But it needs to be done in a certain way. You have to translate your abstract communication using anecdotes or metaphors or examples from your real life. so so you can get your audience connected to it. Even the simplest uh, example like product thinking, just saying abstractly that now we want to apply product think- thinking on data might translate into very different perspectives uh, in, uh, for different audiences. But just like if you want the audience to get the same out of having product thinking on data as you have understood yourself based on your detailed conversations try to come up with examples, try to relate it to some kind of real world world, um, example which everybody can relate to. So yes, abstract communication is very important to set the stage. But then again, we shouldn't underestimate the power of the detailed discussions. So that should definitely lead to one-on-one conversations, intimate meetings, where you would take individual context. Because if you cannot project your abstract uh, messages into individual contexts and give concrete, um, uh, how do you say, guidance on that context to individual specialists, they might just get lost. So always follow up very quickly. Start with abstract conversations. That's basically based on my experience, but always follow up with individual or smaller groups doing context-based conversations, that will definitely lead the way, not because that you are finished after that. You, communication is a key. You have to keep on talking about things, keep on, keep on communicab- communicating about things, but just understanding that you're not done just by telling everybody that we are building data mesh. And then that means we are put, doing product thinking and that means on high level this, that's not where you end the actual effect comes when you start taking these individual conversations.
0: Yeah, I think this comes up a lot, even in in the driving buy-in, where people go, OK, what should my message be to the organization? And it's like, well, if you're not treating the people receiving the information as people, then you're, you're just, again, trying to copy-paste instead of these micro-decisions. And there are so many micro-decisions. And people don't want that to be the case. They want a very, very, well, some people don't want that to be the case. I don't want to paint everybody, but in life, we don't want to have to make 8 million decisions, right? That's that's the information and, and decision fatigue and all that stuff. But so much of this is about how do we communicate with each other. And the only thing that, I I mean, I think this podcast hopefully is helpful for folks out there. I I get that feedback uh, fairly often that people, uh, you know, one of the biggest, though, uh, pieces of feedback is that people say, I feel so much better after listening to it because I realize I'm not alone. I realize that I'm not the only one that's struggling through this. And so... A lot of what you're saying as well is having these smaller group discussions, these one-on-one conversations, it's finding each other. That's what I founded my business around is having these conversations with each other. Because if we're not having these conversations with each other, then you are, again, having these big, broad strokes. And then people go, okay, um, but how do I actually apply that at at the micro level? So Let's talk a little bit about when you're conversing with other people. Like, what if somebody were to to come to you and say, "You know, Mandeep, how do I actually answer X, Y, Z question?" Are you going and and finding people from other organizations? Are you talking within your organization to kind of strategize? Like, how are you helping to answer these questions? And then maybe also, how are you also getting comfortable when you don't find quote unquote the answer? And you're like, I kind of have to guess a little
1: bit. Right. And, and you might have heard this before. I'm pretty sure you've heard this before that um, uh, you should try to always catch the front runners, the ones who are ready, the ones who are closest to the concept and make them the ambassadors. And once you have them as ambassadors, you can actually get their help to communicate further to the people who still are confused and who still cannot find their way. Uh, being said that, who are the ambassadors? Again, something you might not be hearing the first time. Ambassadors are those who are not new to the organization, who, are who have been in this organization for some time. They know the domain. They understand your application landscape. They, uh, For them, it is easier to grasp the concept and put it on top of uh, their knowledge they already have. So when you have those kind of ambassadors who basically know the context already of the, the domain context and have also understood uh, the message which is bringing forward, uh, brought forward as a strategy, as a change we are going to do, then they will be the accelerating factors uh, in this communication. so I usually always try to bring in ambassadors who have the domain knowledge to help me those conversations. in some places now I maybe having been in finance sector for quite long, I have definitely developed some of my knowledge already also being in a company in the same company for five to six years give you some insights into the landscape so and the domain as well. so so in in some areas, uh, it does help um, me going by my, by myself and uh, and trying to point to the right direction in other areas i definitely always try to bring in uh, or or make the ambassadors up to speed before i start doing the conversations with people who are really confused how do we do this conversation is it about telling them they come with a question and we say that this is the answer or is it about posing a question again you know you always anybody always believes in an answer most if they have found that answer by themselves if you tell a person this is the answer they will keep questioning the answer till till it doesn't really make sense for themselves so instead of just providing direct answers if you keep questioning with their problem okay what would you do what do you think is the right thing Okay, and then try to pave direction towards what you really are trying to achieve in the organization by, pers- um, by the audience's own initiatives because they are le- their answers are leading into that direction anyways. So try to lead them in that direction rather than telling them you go right or go left.
0: Well, and and when you're thinking about data mesh, though, there are so many of these things where you may not have any, you haven't seen anybody talking about this, or you haven't heard anybody talking about it. Now, I have a little bit of a different perspective, because, you know, this is close to interview 200. It's probably not quite there. I think it's 180, 175, something like that. But, you know, I've, I've interviewed a whole heck of a lot of people. But when you're finding these these small area, these, like, micro decisions, these smaller decisions... And there isn't content out there. How are you approaching that? Right. It's and and it, we, we can give some examples as to like what were some decisions or what were some some points. Are you looking externally or are you again kind of collaborating with those uh, early movers, those ambassadors, and going like, hey, what do you think? Like, let's let's try to work out what's going to be the best answer and move forward with it, but like, you know, give ourselves the freedom to change if we need to.
1: So once you are quite clear about the concept you are trying to um, achieve in the organization, in this case, we are talking about data mesh. It's about, there are few things in this concept which you really need to anchor. The ownership, you need to anchor accountability. You need to anchor, you ensure that the, whatever uh, data as a product you are building uh, it is. Uh, it has a bounded context. It is independent. Uh, you have to anchor uh, uh, that anything you build has a value proposition. You don't build it for just building it. It is delivering. If you've just follow those concepts and if any kind of decision fits into that concept, that cannot be a wrong decision anyways. So instead of overthinking, is this the right thing to do or is this not the right thing to do? I basically had a meeting today where we were discussing uh, a consumer asking to provide um, a business logic output uh, for their own value proposition um and then we were questioning shouldn't we just provide them underlying data and they should be able to combine it with other domains data and build their business logic by themselves why or should we be owning the business logic and we should do that kind of work business logic work for them and provide them the answers to it well at the end of the day you are providing value to a consumer need if you just don't if you just start with what consumer is asking and just build that and if you build that right if you build that architecture wise right if the ownership needs to be moved one day from you to another place that can that can happen very easily so basically i think value proposition always go after that does it give a value can you own, can you own it can you be accountable for it as of today doesn't matter that you might not be the right owner you need to move that ownership somewhere somewhere else are you building it using the right architecture so you can base- leverage the architecture to make the changes later on should be should, could be some key factors in making your decisions so we believe at this point make some decisions just make sure that you're providing some value rather than keeping on trying to achieve a perfect world there are things you can trade off there are things probably you should not trade off and i have really thought a lot about what is it that i will not trade off and I always come back to what I will not trade off is software architecture. Uh, uh, now uh, I really believe in inverse convey law. Conway's law: if you have done your architecture right, if you have built the things in the bounded context, loosely coupled, microservice based, you you can actually evolve over time. Fail fast, making changes, evolution—all this becomes easy. Moving the ownership, everything becomes easy if your software architecture is done right.
0: Yeah, well, and I think a lot of what you were talking about there is is simply product thinking, right? Like, it is. <laughs> I, so much of this is like, hey, the point uh, like you know the whole no uh, plan survives contact with the enemy, no product plan, you know, product roadmap survives uh, contact with the customer, because it's so much about learning through doing, and it's not about trying to get it perfect up front, which which has been a problem in data. If you didn't get it perfect up front, our ability to evolve in data has been extremely limited. And that's what data mesh is, is about bringing to from software is evolutionary architecture if you listen to the number of times that Jamak talks about just the book evolutionary architecture you know that's where she got the the phrase uh, quantum which i know some people don't love but um it's just about creating the ability to evolve as you learn more and more and so like yeah exactly what what you're talking about so i, I i'd love to transition this into a bit about what were are the the things that you think are super crucial questions to answer at the start of a journey because there are a lot of people out there that are kind of mid journey but there are a lot of people out there that are earlier journey or even pre journey and are trying to figure out where do i start like what are the what are the key questions that you think you have to answer at the start of that journey
1: well the very first question is what journey do you want to embark on? And that—that that is basically what is the value you want to get out, should try what is the journey. And there can be more than one, one right answer to it. So you want to have a drev- data-driven organization can be done using different uh, solutions or different strategies can be uh, implemented for being data-driven anyways. What is your strategy? So, the first question is What is your journey? What do you believe is the right journey for you? Let's assume that decision is made. So, as an organization, you have decided that data mesh is the way to go. That will actually make us data driven, that solves our problems, that is actually fulfilling our value proposition. Then, I maybe it's a little bit old fashioned, but uh, I strongly believe uh, in the saying that uh, a target without a plan is a dream. And dreams do come true, but uh, not that's not definite, right? Maybe they will come true. So I strongly believe that once you have now, once you have decided this is what you want to do, please spend some time in planning about it. Please spend some time at least to start with as step one, understanding based on your organization, we are in different kind of uh, maturities in different organizations. We Some are playing in the brown field, others are playing in the green field. Most of us are playing in the brown field. We are, we are not starting new companies or new organizations. We are trying to implement a strategy in an organization which has been existing for 20 plus years. So, we have created a lot of legacy. We need to also, it's not a matter of uh, creating new data products, it's also a matter of refactoring the old solutions to consume those data products. So, based on how mature your organization is, where is your organization, your prerequisites to start on this journey can be different. You might, if you have been working with legacy platforms, old-fashioned programming languages uh, and and a project-based organizational structure, you might have some prerequisites of upskilling your organization or reorganizing your organization. Whereas if you are in a green field and you have started a new organization, then of course you still have the prerequisites, but you have a clean slate. It becomes easier to start from scratch than to convert what you already have into, what, uh, into where you want to go. So start with, uh, I would say we should really spend some time on understanding what is our starting point. Is there something which is really necessary to put in place before we even start on that journey? If there are things which are needed to be set on place, but you cannot do it right now, what is the trade-off? How do we compensate for it? so start spend some time on time on discussing how do we compensate for and that could be in any form that could be you don't have the right competences or you don't have enough enough resources you have only limited resources you mo- do, might not have the right techni- technical platforms what do you then do so what how do you trade off the things you don't really can fulfill right now and then again being old fashioned try to find some short-term goals for the organization. We keep on saying we will measure the progress of uh, the change we have started. How do you measure a progress where the target might be five years from now or Target might never be because there's always evolution. You never There is not an ending to a data mesh. You keep on evolving. So why do you measure something you keep on evolving? Why don't you just set some old-fashioned milestones for your uh, organization and say, in short, we are so unmature, for example, our organization is so, uh, 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 so unmature that in the beginning, we just want to make sure that everybody knows what they own and they can just describe it in one or the other way or make be transparent about what is it their own so everybody knows what is it we need to expect from whom so and that is basically a short term target at least then you can measure that properly and then you can also compare it across the organization who has total comp- control over their ownership and who hasn't yet got total control over their ownership so so Necessary to make some short-term goals organization basis doesn't mean that if there are some front runners they cannot move forward quickly. You don't make plans and short-term goals for that part of the organization. You make plans and short-term goals for the parts of organizations which are unmature.
0: Well, and I was going to say a lot in there. I, I love what you're saying, but like especially data mesh. At a lot of its core, I, I always say this is the point of data mesh and there are like 17 of the points of data mesh. But one of the key points of data mesh is the ability to incrementally deliver value as you learn and then improve on that value. So exactly what you're talking about in that short term, if you're not delivering, va- it's, it's how do we quickly deliver value that's also scalable? right? That it's not this brittle um, thing of here's the the data and as long as nothing changes, it's it's valuable. Okay, something changes, it's now broken. No, that's not what we're trying to get to. But I'll, exactly what you're talking about of if you're not incrementally delivering value as you're doing data mesh, then kind of you're not doing data mesh, right? Like that's the whole point of this is to learn how to do that better and better and better as you add on more and more capabilities and you, as, you know, you add more and more data products that have more interoperability, so then the, you know, scaling factors or, or the compounding factors of value really kick in. But if you're not incrementally delivering value, there, there are very few organizations, there are a few out there, but there are very few that just have, oh, you have three years to deliver value. no we have to prove this out we have to prove why we're doing this and like you said plans do change and when there's a change in management or there's a change in 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 kind of direction at all you want data mesh to continue to be able to evolve with that and if it's only that big big bang of value 3 years down the road your chances of failing are huge versus especially cuz you your plan isn't for the the real world of three years from now you can guess what the real world of three years from now is going to be but your plan is really for the world of today and you're trying to plan out that three years so i loved a ton of what you were saying in there because i think so much of this is how do we set ourselves up for continually improving success instead of what data has been about you talked about being a project manager Product versus project, right? So much of this, so much of what you said there, just kept resonating. All of these points that I've been making for the last, you know, year and a half of doing this podcast, you know, two hundred and fifty plus episodes. So, um, sorry to have have, have kind of jumped in there, but is there anything more that you wanted to kind of add in on that point before we kind of jump to to something further?
1: No, I will just uh, conclude uh, saying three things: don't overthink it, bring value. Out as soon as possible. Evolution before completion. Focus on evolution, not focus on completion. Here, learn from what you have failed. Fast. Learn from what you have uh, doing. Master, master the evolution. And maybe I should throw in the word the the concept of data ops. Master the software engineering. Master the DevOps because that is actually that will that will help you evolve. If you have mastered the underlying. A process of evolution then don't then you don't really need to worry about things change you don't even need to worry about that maybe somebody else will come with a new data uh, data architectural idea which is probably even more evolved than data mesh we haven't been talked we haven't even thought about it yet so yeah. so be ready for the change and how do you be ready for the change when you master incremental improvements by leveraging your processes and architecture Uh,
0: yeah that ability to adapt that adaptability is is the thing that makes it so that when you need to adapt you can right like the more that you focus on that capability to actually react and change you're just going to be able to deliver value so much easier so um so I wanted to to move into what you had we had talked about in the pre-call of this attitude is, that permeates most organizations, that tech, especially data, is there to support the business versus to drive the business. And how do we it's it's again, it's not a switch that you flip where all of a sudden we are now data driven versus how do we start to get people to understand what the data can drive, how it can drive the business, but that it's also not necessarily in the driver's seat. It's the co-pilot. It's the thing that's providing you better and better information so that the people who know what's actually going on in in the real world have more and more information to better navigate where they're they're going forward. I I use the analogy of um, going down a river. Do you want a map of the rocks that are in the river from a year ago? Or do you want real time, you know, echolocation radar that's telling you exactly where it is, so that you know exactly where to turn, and it's you know it's helping you evolve that very very quickly. Or do you want, you know, which, which do you prefer? Or do you want somebody who again has has mapped it out a couple of weeks ago? That's better. But like, so how do you think about having those conversations, and how do you think about starting to embed this culture to become data driven? rather than uh, again that switch uh, or the the business strategy now says we're data driven so we're data driven right like h- how do you actually start to implement so it's actually valuable
1: we've always been data driven it's not about uh, us not understanding is data is the enabler of all it is us not accepting data in the new in the digital form is basically kind of driving the businesses nowadays, I like to talk about uh, the very basic uh, things. If you do not have the possibility of looking at your data, which is your how much money you have in your account, using a net bank, which is a technology, uh, uh, um, uh, internet banking, then you don't really want to have that bank. Uh, so your business value is you can actually have your money deposited in a bank account and the bank is taking care of it but it doesn't give you that value anymore before you put the technology on top of it so if you don't implement the technology that you can access it using your mobile phone and you can access it uh, using your uh, computer or your browser and then you can extract that data to make your own uh, reports about how you have really transacted on your account on an everyday basis um, it actually doesn't give much value anymore so if we try to look at what is happening nowadays in the world just in our normal life and try to uh, project that into uh, our workplaces organizations then digital data is driving the businesses uh, it's not only about collecting data in one database that doesn't drive business yes data drive business but it is data along with the technology and um, again, just like product thinking, get inspired by the real life ex- examples to understand why business value in the pure form cannot be defined anymore without incorporating digital data as the enabler of business value. And how, how are
0: you actually having that conversation with people? Because this is where, you know some people feel threatened by data, right? Like, you know, a lot of execs are thinking that data is going to make the decisions instead of data is going to enhance my ability to make better decisions. So, like, how do you how do you start to get them to see that? How do you get them to start to lean in so that they're actually generating the data that will make them better able to make their decisions? Because a lot of people also think of data as, the scorecard and they don't want their scorecard because what if they made a mistake versus that data is not about creating that scorecard system. It's about creating, you know, people have only looked at data as reporting instead of intersecting with their day-to-day decision making and that it gives them a better capability to react and and enact and then roll back if something didn't work or that you give the ability for much smaller scale experiments and things like that, how do you start to have that conversation? Because again, so many people are feel threatened by data as if it's going to take away their decision-making capabilities instead of enhance them, as if the data is making the decision instead of these people that are experts on the domains are still making the decision just with the backup of data.
1: It is a difficult question but I would start by saying I'm pretty sure that it is not the data which is threatening it is the way it's, it's actually the technology which is threatening it's um uh, because I still believe that business users do understand that it is actually data which enables them but it can in but it is a failure to understand that it can enable you even more if it is available in a different form, and uh, it is being uh, and and there there is accountability around the data in a different form. Then it might provide you a platform for innovation. So data under saying that data is driving your business is not threatening it's about how you are working with the data how you are ensuring the data is available data should be used how the data should be managed i feel that is more threatening um and that could be there could one of the reasons especially from the organizations i've been working on is because you are one is used to work with data in a different way it's mostly the consumers of the data who have the responsibility of pulling the data. So you basically own the business value, so a business value product, and to create this business value, it is your own responsibility to pull that data, create that business value and deliver it to wherever it needs to be delivered. And that means the data is enabling the business value in that context, but only in that context. The data is that data they are pulling is only enabling that business solution, but not other business solutions. So we what we want to, as in the form of data mesh, to shift it to the other side, where we put accountability on data and somebody is providing good quality data at the right time, which enables more than one business solutions. And how hard it is to understand that is actually a better approach uh but still hard uh still threatening uh, why cannot i take my data myself why do i have to wait for somebody else to provide it why do i need to access it using this or that technology instead of just maybe making a direct connection to a, a operational systems database and writing in SQL and ex- accessing it that is threatening and um to be able to onboard um organisation on why the other way is a better way is by creating examples. Of course, one the best way is always having deep discussions, taking their context and telling them if this is how we work with data, it is going to enable us even more. But if we can create certain examples in the organisation, On the parts of organizations which are more mature, if we can refer to some examples from outside world, which actually provide them insights into why why is it that data in a certain form or uh, data plus technology is are the enablers of business, that might help. We don't have so many examples. Everybody's in everybody is in the progress right now, so it's difficult to get those examples. So no, I don't have a. Clear uh, answer to how would you do that, other than the fact to just take that take that um, uh, discussion one on one and try to explain explain the benefits of doing uh, data driven business solutions by shifting the uh, perspective from pull based to push based. Um, I would really hope, and it actually. I think I have seen it working. That if you do conversations in people's context, it 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 will in long run work. That's a, it's it's a really interesting point because I haven't
0: heard anybody kind of talking about are we taking power away from consumers because they've had you know a, a little bit. Khan Chow and his episode when he was at Northern Trust was talking about the total cost of ownership of data. And so much of the quality and the because they had gone to data services, so people could get access to data, but it wasn't necessarily very quality or clean or anything like that. So then there was this huge, to, you know, TCO total cost of ownership on the consumers because they had to do all of this cleanup work, and there were multiple consumers, and all of them were doing the same work, and you know, all, all of that. So, but I think that's an interesting point where you say, "Hey." Sometimes the consumers feel like they're actually losing some of their power because they previously, if they could get access to the data, they just had full power to get full access. As soon as they got that approval, then they just had that ability to access the the, the database. You know, a lot of times they couldn't get access. And so this is a different, you know, kind of scenario for them. But that's an interesting point that I hadn't heard many people talking about. Um, so I, I think this actually transitions really well into what we were talking about a little bit earlier, but like the the idea of product thinking and how do we get people used to the idea of generally product thinking, but how do we think about that around data? How do you start to plant that seed so that you can come back to it? Because it's not, its again, it's not a switch that you flip, even if the strategy is now we are a product uh, thinking organization. It's not as if everybody overnight starts to think that way. So how how do you start to have those conversations one-on-one and at the organizational level to kind of get product thinking across people's kind of, get get it embedded into their thinking so you can come back to it?
1: I'll come back to basically the same thing which I have said multiple times. Uh, a product is only a product if it is providing any if it is providing any value in the end. So if it is, it is if if you have explained why product thinking actually delivers the value proposition which you are after. If you can connect the value to product thinking, then you have already bought. Uh, you have already bought a lot of people in the organization uh, to think in that way. Um, In most organizations, um, just creating data as a product, and that means you are just owning some data and you are delivering it as a product, doesn't give any value until that data is actually used in a business solution. So to make some KPIs, which goes across the business proposition where you basically the business proposition is only achieved where you have components of that business proposition built as data as a product. So you have inputs to that business proposition which is built as data as a product. Then you are connecting to a bigger business value proposition rather than just saying that your KPI is how many data as a data products you can create that is not so basically ensuring that your your kpis in the organization are built towards a business proposition and the solution for that business proposition has data as a product as component helps people to buy in the product thinking on data if it makes sense and how are you
0: like where where do you think people miss the point when you're trying to explain that? Like, where do you, where, if people were to, because I, when I talk, the reason why I'm asking this question, when I talk to a lot of people in data, even they don't understand really my, at least my perspective of data as a product, which is very much product thinking, product thinking, product thinking, not just data products. Right. And, but like when they're trying to, even the people who get it, when they're trying to explain it to their business partners a lot of times they get a lot of blank stares back so like how are you finding that conversation to work or or where are you finding people maybe might not get it so that people out there are aware of kind of the difficult places that they're going to have in that conversation
1: it ends up becoming difficult to understand if the only uh, message you have uh, got at the abstract level is it is all about now exposing data as a product so it's all about what is the big message and we call data as a product as a data product as well but data product is a broader broader term a data product can also be a dashboard where you see some data where you kind of do reconciliations or whatever the purpose of monitoring or something of the data that is also a data product whereas delivering a business object that could be an entity with all its number of fields to another domain who might need that data in creating their own dashboard so is also a data product so it's first of all it's about ensuring that we in the organization have the same uh, understanding of the concepts what is a data product what is data as a product what do we want people to apply product thinking to and maybe also take it as a steps so and it is different from organization and organization what you want to achieve in few of the organizations i have uh, uh, both worked in and also talked uh, uh, discussed with um, the main issue they want to solve is What I tried to explain before, consumers pulling the data, they want to move it back to the producers and delivering the data. In that context, it is just delivering your data in a logical uh, form to other domains so the domains can actually access it and create some value out of it. So to ensure that based on your organizational context, what is a data product? And what what do you want to apply product thinking to? When you say data as a product or data product, that is absolutely essential. And then again, I'll bring it back to putting it into a bigger picture than just saying, now you provide data as a product. So if you are just delivering an entity as data as a product, why should you be interested in? Because why should you be building technical solutions which you need to monitor and operate on everyday basis, delivering data to somebody else, because that doesn't give any end business value. So connecting it to the big picture, that it's a part of a bigger story also helps in anchoring that into the organization. And we take these discussions all the time, haven't found any, how do you say, golden solution to that if you say this, this will work. If you say this, this will work. But Definitely uh, defining your terminologies correctly, what do they mean and how do they fit into a bigger picture and measuring the bigger picture rather than smaller components at at organizational level brings things into perspective and might help to anchor the product thinking at different levels of the products in the organization.
0: Yeah, and, and one thing from my own perspective on this has been that we are trying to take too many things exactly from software and bring them into data instead of overall product thinking. I have this around reliability engineering and things like that. Software engineering has learned things from general product management. We should go out there, like when you think about actual sourcing of physical goods, like you have to secure your supply chain and you have to do the same thing with data when you think about. Your informational supply chain—you know whether that's internal or external—are you generating this yourself, or you do? And I think that conversation is very difficult to get around for most people because it's—it's it's something that we haven't talked about in even software, and so even when you have people that are, are like used to building software products, they're this is almost foreign to them because the software itself generates the information that they need in most cases. And so, um, but yeah, I, I think a lot of what you're just coming back to over and over is treat the people like they're people instead of treat the people like they're a persona and, you know, just try and have this one message that goes out as if this is the golden message instead of, Hey, here's what we're trying to do. Like, where how are you reacting to that and react to those key stakeholders and and work with them to make sure that they understand it yes you want to have an overarching message but at the same point you want to you know you want to make sure that each of your stakeholders understands what's trying to what you're trying to drive to and why this is going to be a value is is that a good way of summing up kind of what you're saying?
1: A- absolutely, uh, absolutely. And I really like using metaphors. As you just give an example of the actual products in the world, you might not be even coming up with a full fledged product. You are just probably pro- producing a spare part into a product somebody else will. But even though you are building a small part of a big product, if you are, if you are getting, if you are earning on it. That's called monetizing the data now, but not like really monetizing. But if your if your organization is awarding you, if you get award for creating those uh, spare parts, and then that award is in the form of that is measured in the form of the final business value, which is which it is bringing because you are creating that spare part for the final value, then you suddenly feel you are you are a part of bigger picture. Everybody wants to be. a part of a bigger story just not uh, a small uh, you know component in a factory which is just moving up and down and that's its job it needs to know when i move up and down that means that something is produced at the other end there comes a juice box out of it or there comes something out uh, out of the pipeline uh, in the end so so you need to embed product thinking in different stages of products, uh, different types of products to a bigger story. It's again a question of value proposition that you can see that whatever, if you are putting product thinking on data, even if it is just to deliver your data in the raw form or whatever form you should be delivering it, then you are actually providing, enabling something else which gives value to the whole organization. At the end of the day, you have been Part of a success story, yeah.
0: It's a lot of it's just incentivization, right? Like, it, how how do you get people to be incentivized that they're part of this this bigger thing, but also that you give them credit, and that credit can mean additional investment in their domain. It can mean all of those things. Um, so, I, I wanted to wrap up around the idea that we talked about in the pre-call as to where a lot of people are kind of getting a little bit. I don't know if depressed is the right word, but but feeling a, a little bit lost when they keep looking at how much left of their journey in data mesh they still have. Because you're constantly, there's constantly more things to do. There's constantly, you know, there is no end in, into an evolution. It's like, how are you becoming a person? That never really ends. You as a person are never done evolving kind of thing, or at least hopefully. But um, so like, how have you worked with yourself but also with your organization to reflect back on the successes that you've you've had and make that part of of understanding the journey and and that you're you know showing the value that you've delivered um both from a you know getting credit and getting additional funding but also just keeping that kind of spirits high that we we look at how much we've accomplished like how how are you How are you thinking about that? How would you recommend other people go about that so that they don't just only focus on what's left to do?
1: Yes. So in any kind of um, change initiative, there's always different phases of it. And uh, the first phase is uh, where everything is disrupted. Everybody is talking about everything. There are so many new terminologies. Again, the same uh, topic about uh, being abstract about things, using new words, curse of knowledge. Some understand something else. Some understand some, uh, something else about the same sentence. We need to accept it. That is something we probably need at that time. We feel a frustration about it. We think, oh my God, we never are going to come further. We are never going to pave a direction this organization. This this organization is broken because everybody is confused. But it is actually a necessity. its is, it, it is required to have that initial period where everybody can speak their mind. And you don't have a control. You don't really always need to be in control in the beginning. At some point of time, you start feeling yourself and it is not even that you are measuring have we uh, have we passed that disruption period are we in a stage now where we are not we are kind of speaking the same language that's something you cannot measure now we ended but that's a kind of a gut feeling because you start observing different behavior and once you start observing that behavior you know that now you are ready to make some some kind of consensus around the organization because everybody now speaks the same similar language I would say similar language and now it, there is a buy-in and the uh, buy-in process is definitely being very uh, ad hoc and fragmented because there is a need even though if you would try to do it very formally having big town hall meetings where you collect everybody and try to explain them what we want to do, it will still end up in a disruptive disruptive setup where then people go to coffee machines and, uh, you know, the corridors and start repeating those words, creating new meanings about that. So, yes, in the beginning, there is a frustration. I have myself experienced it also on myself being me being as a front runner where I believe I could uh, grasp the concepts uh, myself, but was very frustrated why I'm not able to uh, able to get in others' minds and make them understand what I, uh, I'm trying to say. But over time, I have learned that an organization based on its size and based on the different types of human beings which are in this organization, May take its own amount of time to go from a disruption phase to a planning phase, and that we need to accept, no matter what. If we start the planning phase much earlier, uh, in in an unmature we will definitely not reap the benefit uh, from the very beginning. Then we will actually start reaping benefits at the same time, even though we have if we, if we had waited the disruption to finish. Um, so so we have to accept. The disruption period to start with. The second thing is that we should never confuse the journey with the target. We might need to make some kind of decisions which are not appropriate. That's not our target. We don't we are working towards a decentralized ownership and accountability of data as a product. Oh, but we need a centralized team to Plan and take control of it and make sure that uh, we coordinate, make sure that uh, people talk to each other, make sure that everybody we have to document some things and patterns. That doesn't mean that we don't want to achieve a distributed setup. We still want to achieve a distributed setup, but we are on the journey trying to take some decisions, trying to find some tactics so we can accelerate towards our target. So, journey can be uh uh how do you say journey can be a mix up of different tactics provided all those tactics lead towards your target
0: yeah it's it's all about where are you eventually trying to go how do you deliver value along that path but you don't have to you know day zero we were not doing data mesh day one we're doing data mesh therefore we're fully decentralized and all oh, the other you know it's just it that's that's where you get into dogma versus value and figuring out how the value and how this can apply in your organization, what's going to be decentralized, what's not. Um, uh, Yushin Sun from uh, Morgan Chase was talking about, they fully decentralized into all of the domains. And then they found out some domains were just too small to own their data. So then they formed kind of centralized data teams that would manage the data for you know, five to 10 of these domains and, you know, not have one centralized team that managed the data for all of those small domains, but that you'd create these pockets so that they could better participate into the overall organization. But there wasn't more value than cost if they fully decentralized data into those domains. And so exactly what you're talking about, like what matters, like what are we trying to actually do here? Are we trying to "Quote unquote," do data mesh, or are we trying to deliver value in a way that's scalable and and flexible and you know agile and all that stuff? That, or you know, I think we get too much hung up on the specifics instead of the the target of what are we trying to do here. So. I, I loved a lot of what you were saying there, but we we covered a whole heck of a lot of things in this conversation. Is there anything we didn't cover? Or any way you want to wrap up the episode? Any any kind of point that you want to circle back to? Yeah, I mean, you kind of did just circle back to some points,
1: but <laughs> yes, I did, and um, yes, we covered a lot of topics. And um, as you also al- already said in the beginning, there is not enough time and context to cover the deep down details and micro uh, micro questions here. Uh, but I will just conclude by saying that they are really important and it is important if you want to um, help an organization to move towards your target, then take those contexts and make those micro decisions in certain contexts and then find uh, the uh, in Danish you call it failless neona, uh, let me trans that, translate that to English, uh, the uh, shared features of that that the, those concepts and try to see how you can bring it up to an enterprise level and say, okay, if you are asking this kind of micro-question, this might be an inspiration. So go and try to find examples and context in the organization, bring the individual specialists from or domain experts from that part of organization answer those micro questions, and they might be very specific to that context. But they will definitely set examples and inspiration for similar kind of questions which comes into from the other part of organization. They might not apply one on one, but they will inspire on which direction we uh, they should take if they have similar kind of micro detailed question. Well, and I think that
0: you're the same point fits as well for going external, right? Like going and saying like, hey, I need somebody to give me some external perspective. Go and find your people that look a lot like your implementation, a lot like your journey and go and just have discussions with people because so much, that's why I offer data mesh therapy as an actual, like offering as my company, because so much you need people just to be able to Say, hey, am I am I doing this right? Am I doing like let's bounce some ideas off of walls and just vent because so much of this, people that are leading journeys, it's very very difficult.
1: One thing I might just have missed is uh, a very important factor when you are targeting towards a distributed setup is visibility, uh, and and very important to share your experiences inside the organization. Even if you start big bang, say, and that we are distributed, focus a lot on making things visible, making the individual, even though they are in a value stream decision, a product team decision, a domain decision, or it could also be a product a, a domain has created, uh, make, it, make it available. Make the patterns you have implemented available for the rest of the organization. Let everybody know where they can find it. It's it's a matter of inspiring each other. It's, met, again, coming to the same point, providing examples, giving them a baseline where to start with. So visibility is really, really important in a distributed uh, setup.
0: Yeah, very much agree. So, well, um, Mandeep, this has been uh, a great conversation. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that would love to follow up with you. Where's the best place to do that? Anything specific you'd like people following up about?
1: So, uh, as usual, I'm on LinkedIn, as everybody else. So, you can always find me there. You can write to me on LinkedIn. Um, if you have any uh, comments on what I have said today, I would really like to hear some feedback. If you have if you would like to have one-on-one chat on a certain topic, especially if you are from a financial sector and you are struggling with our value chain dependencies and when, we all, when the value chain is so much dependent on each other, how do we really create this bounded context? So if you have really these um, detailed micro questions um, where you would like to have inspiration, um, then you are welcome to write to me on LinkedIn.
0: Yeah. And we'll drop a link to your LinkedIn in the show notes to make it easy for for people to find you. But again, Mandeep, thank you so much for your time here today. And as well, thank you everyone out there for listening. Thank you, Scott. I'd again like to thank my guest today, Mandeep Kaur, Enterprise Information Architect at Nordea Asset Management. You can find a link to her LinkedIn in the show notes as per usual. Thank you. Hopefully that interview episode was really useful for you. Please do consider getting in touch with guests from the show, from these episodes. Most have said they'd really love people to reach out to them. And please, as well, if you've got a minute, rate and review the podcast somewhere. It really is honestly super helpful for other people looking into kind of data podcasts to kind of get this in front of them. Data Mesh Radio is again provided as a free community resource by Data Mesh Understanding. It's produced and hosted by me, Scott Herleman. In April of 2023, I left DataStax, who were wonderful in getting the data mesh community stuff started, so give them a shout for streaming and real-time AI needs. But I left to start my own industry analyst kind of information-as-a-service firm. Our offerings are affordable, and you can do them on a one-off or a month-to-month basis. You know, read, kind of, throw it on the credit card. Don't worry about, like, going through purchasing and things like that. The services include lots of practitioner roundtables, know, one-on-one data mesh kind of planning or feedback sessions and tailored introductions to other data mesh practitioners that are focused around your topics of interest. You know, what what are you actually running into challenges with? We also have some free programs around introductions and roundtables that people can kind of check out as well. Check the show notes or just go to datameshunderstanding.com for more info or helpful resources. As always, if you have suggestions for guests or topics, please do get in touch as well. And have a wonderful rest of your day. Now let's hear that funky outro music.